Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the seas, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Awesome. Thanks, Olivia. You guys pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the psalm. We thank you for your awesome majesty that fills the earth, that's greater than the heavens. God, we thank you that you are good and that you are awe-inspiring and that you bring us to this place of wonder and praise and worship of your name. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our eyes and open our ears to see you in new ways. Have our breath taken from us, from your grandeur and your majesty and your beauty and your glory this morning. Lord, lead us through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning we are in Psalm 8. And Psalm 8, like I said, is one of my favorite psalms. It is this beautiful invitation into this place of awe and wonder. This place of taking time to reflect and be filled with awe and wonder and amazement of who God is. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't necessarily take a ton of time in my day to be filled with awe and wonder, to be able to pause and to be able to stop. Normally, if it does happen, it's at a sunset or it's a starry sky. It's this place where God captures me and captures my heart of awe and worship and wonder. How often do you guys take time to pause and allow yourself to be filled with wonder and awe and amazement of the world that's around us and of our God? What I find is that when I do take the time to pause, when I do take the time to be filled with wonder and amazement, there becomes this place where I begin to feel really uncomfortable and kind of vulnerable. And I begin to feel kind of small. And then I pull out my phone and I like try and take a picture of it because I was like, I'll look at that later. I'll capture this moment of awe. Of course, the picture never captures it. And then we move on because we're busy. And we want to be distracted. And we don't love that feeling of being vulnerable. Like, we don't love that feeling where we're vulnerable, where we're before God, where we feel small, and where he's glorious and great, and we're just kind of sitting there with our mouths open, right? Like, it's an uncomfortable space. And so we like to not enter into that uncomfortable space where we have to be humbled, where we have to be encountered with the living God and his glorious presence. We'd much rather just be distracted, We'd much rather be busy. We'd much rather watch Netflix. We'd much rather (laughs) be with our kids or be on our phone or read the latest news story. And we live in this distracted age that pulls us away 
from awe and wonder. Instead, instead of being the age that is filled with awe and wonder around the world that's around us, we're a people filled with information. We're like, don't give me the show of awe and wonder. Give me the information. Give me the facts. That's who we are. That's who we become as a society. But the reality is that this psalm is written not in our world, thank God, but it's written by David, who's a shepherd, whose job is actually pretty slow going. It's a lot of work to watch over all the sheep. But at the end of the day, he also does just a lot of standing around. He's observing the world around him. He's observing the grasses and how they grow. He's observing the trees. He's observing the weather as it comes in and the rainfall and where there's going to be water to be able to feed and replenish his sheep. The shepherd is keenly aware of God and how God works in nature so that he can hear and respond and move his sheep according to nature to guide them to places of new life. And what we see is that the shepherd is able to take time to just pause and be amazed at God in all that God has done, at all the works that God has done by his hands. And so I want to invite us this morning to this place of pausing, to this place of standing in awe and wonder, because I think it's a lost art. I think standing in awe standing in wonder, losing yourself in a sunset, losing yourself in the stars that are above us, losing ourselves in the greatness of who our God is, is something that we just don't engage in. And in many ways, it's become a huge problem. It's become a huge problem in our faith because the reality is that awe and glory is the beginning to be able to understand and, and receive God's presence. We talk a lot about hearing and responding from God in this church. And we believe that God is a God who speaks. We believe that God is a God who wants to speak to you specifically. And we believe that we need to train ourselves to hear from God. And the reality is that being able to stand in awe and to be able to stand in wonder of God is the very beginning to be able to train ourselves to hear from God. If we don't stop, if we don't pause, and if we don't allow ourselves to be amazed at who our God is, we will never be able to hear from God and be able to know who our God is. And so what we have in the psalm is David who knows God, who knows God's voice and who stands in awe of him. And, and at the beginning of faith, we find that there is awe. We don't just get to faith. What we find is that faith has a genesis. It has a starting point. And the starting point of our faith is this place of awe and wonder of who God is. You didn't just receive a bunch of facts about who God is, and you're like, yeah, that sounds good. No, you encountered the living God who created the heavens and the earth, and you encountered something that was so true, so magnificent, so beautiful, so that spoke to your soul, so awesome and wondrous, that you're like, I want to be there. I want to be in the presence of that thing. I want him to be my God, and I want him to be my king. This practice of awe and wonder is kind of the kindling and the fuel to our faith. And so if you've got people that want to know how to grow in faith, or if you've got somebody that is just at the very beginning steps of faith, teach them, lead them into this place of awe and wonder of who God is. Get them outside, take away their phones, and make them stop. Maybe even allow yourself to get bored. Because what I find is that when we get bored, we are actually 
awake enough and we're at this place enough to where we begin to see things that we didn't quite see before. And I believe that it's in these spaces where God wants to show up and where God wants to begin to speak with us. I think the problem is in our churches that we've replaced faith with awe and wonder. We've replaced this awe and wondrous faith that we have in God, and we've replaced it instead with just a list of facts, with a list of beliefs. Like, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he rose again? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe he was born of the Virgin Mary? If you can say yes to all those things, it's like, great, you have faith. You are in your believer. There's nothing awe-inspiring about that at all. But that's what our faith has become. It's been this list of beliefs. We've exchanged our worship for right and wrong actions. We'll say, well, if you follow God and these actions and you're obedient to him, you're worshiping God rightly. But if you don't follow these rules and these patterns and these ways, then you're not worshiping God well. And it's all about right and wrong. And again, there's nothing awe-inspiring in our worship. It's just, am I doing the right thing or not? And that always has us looking over our shoulder wondering, God, is this good enough? Am I good enough? Is this okay? This is, this is not the faith and the worship that God had intended us to participate in. We've exchanged our love in our body for obligation. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You've got somebody that has expectations of you, and instead you know that the right thing to do is to go and love them, but you're like, well, I'm just going to oblige them and show up anyways, and I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. And the thing is, is that we've replaced our faith with, with these lists of beliefs. We've replaced our worship with right and wrong, and we've replaced our love with obligation. And what we found is that faith is just not that inspiring. It's not that dumbfounding. It's not that awe-inspiring. And what happens is that... Sorry, I lost my track. So we replace our love with obligation, and what happens is that we lose our ability to hear from God and respond. We lose our ability to, to understand who God is and for our faith to be compelling to anyone. There's a scholar named Abraham Joshua Heschel, and he says this. He says, the surest way to suppress our ability to understand the meaning of God and the importance of worship is to take things for granted. And I think we live in a world where we take a lot of things for granted. He continues to say, it is this indifference to the wonder of God that is the root of all sin. So this morning, if your soul has run dry, or if you find yourself wondering why people are leaving the faith, it's not due to the fact that people have found their faith unreasonable. I don't think that that's the case. I think that we have a very reasonable argument for our faith and why our faith exists. Actually, I think sometimes we get too reasonable about it and that our faith isn't unreasonable enough at times. I think that there are times where our faith has become so reasonable that it's become irrelevant, it's become dull, and it's become oppressive. And in that, we've lost our voice of compassion in exchanging love for obligation, in exchanging worship for right and wrong action, and exchanging faith for a list of beliefs. We've lost our ability to have compassion. We've lost our ability to see others and to care for others well. But what I love about this psalm this morning is that it invites us away from all of that. And it invites us into this place of awe and wonder and to be inspired by God again. 
This psalm invites us towards the wonder and mystery of God. Now, it doesn't invite us in a way of blind faith, okay? We still have to be reasonable in our faith. People deserve to be able to ask good questions, and they deserve to have good answers given to those questions. What I find is that when people ask good questions, the answers that satisfy them isn't always just reasonable information, but it's information that's presented in a way that leads them to a place of awe and wonder that says, oh, there is truth there. Oh, there is life there. There is something more amazing there than what I know that is true and have experienced over here. And so this place of awe and wonder, we're just naturally drawn towards it. And our faith, I believe, has amazing answers, truly amazing and fantastic answers to life and to who we are and to who God is and how God loves us and redeems us and wants to restore us, that it is incredibly compelling and that we as God's people need to continue to embody that. And the way that we're going to embody that and live that out is if we take time to worship him as God and king over our lives and stand in awe and wonder over him. And so this is the invitation to us this morning, is to stand in awe of God. For some reason in our world, we're afraid that if you can get to a place of explaining something, we've taken away the mystery of the thing and it becomes less awesome. That's kind of the age that we live in, is that if we just want to explain things away. But my experience has actually been quite the opposite. When I dig in, when I begin to get more and more information about a thing, the more amazed I find myself being. There's this book that I engaged in recently. It's called The Hidden Life of Trees. And it's all about trees and how trees live and how trees communicate and talk and live in relationship and community with one another. Things that just blew my mind. Like, did you know that trees can communicate with one another through fungi in the soil? They send electrical impulses. Now it moves really slow, but they're able to communicate to one another when there's predators, when there's bugs that want to attack. There's actually places where the tree can respond and cause their bark to taste differently so that bugs won't want to eat it up and be able to continue to kill it. There's ways that in the Saharan African desert where if there is a tree that's getting eaten by a giraffe, it sends out pheromones to all the other trees that are around it to where those trees change the taste of their leaves so that when the, drief, when the draft gets to that tree, the leaf is now bitter instead of sweet. That's, that's amazing. Like, that's a, like we're talking about trees here. They, like they don't have feet. They don't move. They just kind of sway around in the leaves. But when you get close and you begin to have more information about it, trees are pretty awesome. Trees are pretty wondrous. And so if you want a way to like engage in the amazingness of God and the systems that God has created in this world, I, I encourage you to pick up the book, The Hidden Life of Trees, and you'll find yourself worshiping the God who has created trees and all the variety of species among us and the ways that God has made them for them to live, for them to grow, for them to thrive and bring life among us, okay? And we're just, that's just trees, right? Like, there's so much more in the world. And so, as a people of faith, we don't have to be worried about giving good answers. We don't have to be worried about 
being reasonable and in explaining our faith with reason because the more you get into the word and the more you get into the Bible, the more awesome and amazing and profound it gets to where you're like, that is just true and that is beautiful and you find yourself worshiping the God who's made it all. And that's what this psalm is about. It's inviting us to return to a place of true faith, to return to a place of true worship and a true love and to live in a relationship with a God that is full of humility and compassion and grace for others as we walk out this awe with him. And so let's get into the psalm this morning. The psalm begins with just an explosion of praise. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Basically what David's saying here is he's saying, Everything that's majestic in this world, the most majestic thing that you can think of, that you've experienced, that you've seen with your eyes, knowing God and being in relationship with him is like that, but even more. And he goes on to say that it's not just enough to imagine the most majestic things in the world. He says, uh, instead, imagine the heavens which includes our sky and the clouds, but also the stars and the moons and the universe and everything that you can see in the night sky. He's like, consider that and how amazing that is. God's glory is actually above that. Is anyone's head spinning? Of all of the beauty and the glory in the earth, it's, for me, it's hard to even wrap my mind around the idea of the the, just the vastness of earth. And then when we move to the vastness of the heavens and then to say that God is above that, there's this thing where awe, where we just hit our capabilities. We hit our limits of what we can imagine, of what we can do, of what we can be before God. And it is good. It is good. It is so good. The fact that we as human beings have limits is incredibly good, and it's for our good, and it's for God's glory. And we live in a world that tells us that that shouldn't be the case. We live in a world that says that we should be limitless. We live in a world that says that you should just work harder, that you should try harder, and that if you worked hard enough, you'd make the money that you'd want to earn, and if you trained hard enough, you'd be able to win the gold medal that you want to win. That if you want to be the best, you have to train to be the best, and you have to work the hardest. But the reality is that all of that is flawed. There are a lot of hard workers making minimum wage. And there are a lot of lazy people making a lot of money. I am never going to beat Usain Bolt in a race. That's never going to happen. It doesn't matter if I put my lifetime trying to do that. That's never going to happen. And I also think about everyone else that competes in the Olympics, right? Like, did the guy that gets second, did he just not train as hard? You know, did he not give it his all? Like, there's a possibility that the guy that finishes last trained harder than the guy that finishes first. And it's because we're human beings and we have limits. And limits are good because these limits remind us that we're not God. And we need that reminder. We need that reminder that he is God and that we are not. And so where you face limits and where you face weakness in your, in your life, embrace them. Embrace them. Because our God is the God who's majestic. His name is great in all the earth, and his name is higher than the heavens. And there's this place where God is just inviting us to just go, whoa. He's inviting us to almost return back to the life of a child. 
Right now, my son is three, and his life is full of wonder and awe. Right now, my son's favorite word probably is whoa. <laughs> the amount of times he says whoa in the day is amazing. And what's awesome is that he loves things that are huge. And so he'll be like, whoa, that is so big and powerful. It's big and powerful. And then if we haven't like acknowledged that he's in this place of awe, he will like add on, whoa, it's big and powerful. It's big and powerful, dad. <laughs> like, do you see this? He's inviting me into his place of awe and wonder. And there's some times where I'm like, yeah, it's big and powerful. But like, I miss an opportunity there to be like, you know what? Like, it is big and powerful. And it is amazing that that excavator can move the dirt like that. And that, that excavator is huge. Or that plane is flying in the air. Like, these are the things that he's pointing out. He's like, it's big and powerful. And he invites me in to be like a little child with him. And to stand in awe of the world that God has put around us that's good. God declared this world good. And he wants us to enjoy it and to participate in it with him. And so my son invites me in to relationship with him. And it's no wonder that the next line in the psalm is about kids. It says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. What he's saying is have faith like a child. Allow yourself to be blown away by the smallest things. Allow yourself to have ears to hear where God shows up. When you think about it, a child is this place, he's this, this image of weakness and codependency, right? Like children need guardians. They need people to care for them, to love after them, to feed them, to grow them up. But here in the psalm, he says, it is out of the mouth of babies and infants that you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. He's saying it's out of the mouth of babes that there will be praise for me. In Matthew, what we find is that Jesus is crazy about kids. And he's crazy about the faith and the power that kids have in the spiritual world that's true. And so in Matthew, Jesus is in the temple and he's doing some amazing things. And it says this, it says, When the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, the children cried out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. And the Pharisees were indignant and they said to him, Do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus said to him, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? Our children are worshipers, and they are pointing us towards the awe and beauty of who our God is. We see this also in Matthew, where Jesus is with the children. The children were being brought to him where he might lay hands on them, but the disciples rebuked the people. And Jesus said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And then earlier, he's with his disciples. And his disciples are arguing about who's the greatest in heaven. They're wondering about who's the most powerful, who's the most strong. And Jesus says, it's not about that. It's not about who's the strongest and who's the greatest. He says, 
Calling him a child, he brought a child up to him and put the child in his midst. He said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But whoever humbles himself is like this little child and is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Our God is a God who meets us in our weakness and who invites us to be like little children to him because he is our good, good father. And we have to begin to embrace our weaknesses and our limitations and to be awe-inspired about the ways that God shows up in spite of our weakness. Because that's who our God is. I love this. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about his own weakness. And he's kind of having this conversation with God. He's frustrated about his weakness. But in the middle of his frustration about his weaknesses, this is what the Lord says to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul then says, okay, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness and in my limitations so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong because of Christ in me. God's grace is sufficient in our lives. If you want to practice to be able to to enter into this place of awe and wonder with God, I just challenge you, where are the places where you have not been able to provide for yourself? Where are the places where you were afraid, where you were weak, where you were tired and afraid, where you could not do it on your own? And you threw your hands open, and you're like, God, save me, God, help me, and he showed up. I know this room is full of testimonies of the ways that God shows up. And there's something awe-inspiring, something wondrous when somebody comes up and shares their story about how God showed up in the middle of their weakness. Our God is a God who's leading us and calling us to experience him, not just know him cognitively, but to know him to know his heart for us, and to know his love for us. And so if we continue in Psalm 8, it says this. It says, When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? I mean, if you're amazed at how God showed up in your weakness, have you also not been amazed when you just stare up at the sky. I don't know about you, but I am always taken away by the wondrous glory of the heavens, especially at night. Now, I had this opportunity to go to Colorado uh, right out of college. I took like this 21-day cross-country trip out west. And the very first night out west, we decided to camp on the side of a mountain at 12,000 feet. And I thought I had seen the stars before. And we even went to bed kind of gazing at them. But there was something that woke me up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and the tent fly was off, and I opened my eyes, and I, I couldn't believe my eyes. But the stars were like, it was like glitter. It was like glitter in the sky. I could not believe it. I'd never seen the sky so clear and so full of the stars. And I felt so small in that space. But I also felt so good. My mind went to the song in that space of he's got the whole world in his hands. And here I am, 
sleeping away under this canopy of the stars and the moon and the sky. And it's glorious and it's great. And I'm struck with awe and wonder that doesn't lead me to a place of fear, but leads me to a place of rest and a place of peace and a place that knows that my God sees me and my God loves me and my God has got me. And so there's this place where we are just overwhelmed by God's goodness. There's this place where God makes us just wonder as we look at the sky, God, who am I? Who am I that you care for me? Who am I that you would love me? And what we find in the scripture as we continue is that he says, you have made us a little lower than heavenly beings. And you crowned us with glory and honor. And you have given us dominion over the works of your hands, and you've put all things under our feet. And so what happens here is that our God is big, and our God is strong, and our God is awesome. And our God is up here. So this visual helps us. So God is here. He's above all things. Now in the text it says that when we look at the skies and we wonder who are we and we begin to feel small, what we're experiencing is this place of, of vulnerability and humility that allows us to acknowledge our weakness and allow us our limitations to say that we're not God. But the psalmist David says that we were created a little lower than heavenly beings. And the word that he uses there actually is God. We were created a little lower than God. So there's God and then there's us like right here. Now, the reality is that when we get really honest about who we are, like if we just like get right down to the elemental forces of who we are, like we're a bag of dust walking around the earth with the Spirit of God in us, right? The only thing that makes us significant in the world is that in all of creation, God looked at us human beings. He says, you know what? I'm going to make you in my image and in my likeness, and I'm going to breathe my breath in you. That's what makes us beautiful and valuable. It's because of the one who has made us. And he sets us just below him in the order of creation. And he sets all of the other creation underneath our feet. He says, everything that I've created, I'm giving to you and I'm putting into your hand. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But what I want us to see is that there's this place where we are humbled, where we're brought low before God. And I believe that humility is living in the space that's under God. But there's this floor. I said that we're a bag of dust, right? And we're created out of the dust. And so down here, there's dirt. Now, there are places where we get this wrong, where we think that we are above God. And we think that we're awesome and that we're wondrous. But there are also places in our life where we think that we are less than and that we're actually just a bag of dirt walking around. And what happens is, is that when we think that we are greater than God, we generally start taking, take people that live in this space and start treating them like dirt. And this is how injustice happens. This is how injustice happens. And righteousness is when God puts all of this in the right order. And so the right order is that when we've been treated like dirt, for righteousness to happen is that we need to be restored to where we're above dirt and below God. And when we have people who are inflicting 
unrighteousness upon other people and treating other people like dirt, they need to be knocked down and, hum and humiliated to a place to where they're properly put below God, but above dirt. Okay? Now, in the Hebrew, the word for humility means not rising far from the ground. And so you could kind of say humility is down here. So this box above dirt and below God is where we're called and intended to live. We're not dirt. We're more than dirt. We have the breath of the living God in us. And that's significant. But we also need to not get the idea that we are above God. Paul David Tripp says this. He says that if I live at the center of my God-given capacity for all, that is, if the awe of self has replaced the awe of God, so that's where when we get ourselves above God here, he says, then I will, in, in, sorry, I will invariably conclude that God is not always good. And loads of complaints will follow. If I'm at the center, if I'm at this place above God, I will define what is comfortable, what is predictable, what is pleasurable, natural, and easy. And so there is danger when we get this thing out of order. There is danger when this gets out of order. And the thing that causes this to get out of order the fastest is when we don't take the time to worship and to stand in awe and wonder of the presence of God who is greater and bigger than all things to where we can stand, God, in your presence, who am I that you would love me? Who am I that you would give me breath, that you would serve me? And Jesus comes into our world and says that I love you because I've created you. That you're the crown and glory of creation. I want to be in relationship with you. And so what we have, if you want to know what it is to live in this space, Right here, we can turn to Jesus who has come to save us from ourselves and from the ways that we like to go above and be like God. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul encourages us by saying this. He says, Have this mindset among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I mean, this is amazing. Just, just allow your, your mind to be blown for a second. So Jesus comes to the earth, and he is God. But when he takes on human form and he takes on human flesh, guess what Jesus won't even do? He won't even allow himself to get on the same level in the same plane as God. He's like, that's not even something that he's allowing himself to grasp. He's walking with humility, and he's putting himself under the subjugation of the Father. We continue. He says, but he empties himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that every name in Jesus, that, there, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and on heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and goodness of the Father. In Colossians, we also find that in him, 
the whole fullness of the deity dwells within his body. So he is God among us. And the beautiful thing is that you and I, we've been filled in him, who is also the head and rule over all authority in all the earth. And in him you are circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh, but by the circumcision of Christ. We have been buried with Jesus in baptism, which you are also raised to him through faith in the power and working of God, who raised him from the dead. So that what he's saying here is that Jesus comes back to the dead by the power of God. God pulls him from the dirt and puts him in this proper place. And we too will be saved like him. We too will be raised like him. And the beautiful thing is that he saves us from our sins. And it says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. This is what he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. You see, David looks at the stars and he says, God, who am I that you would love me? And he's amazed by that. What I think is true for me is that I look at how I try and act as God and how I oppress others, or how I believe the lie that I am only dirt, and I look at my sin in my life, and I go to Jesus, and I'm like, who am I that you would die for me? Who am I in light of my sin, in light of the darkness of my own soul, that you would come and save me? And Jesus is like, oh, but you are my son, and you are my brother, and you are my daughter, and I have come to rescue you from yourself and to make all things right. I love what it says here. It says that when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with him, forgiving us all of our trespasses, that he cancels the record of debt that stands against us, and that he nails it to the cross, and he, he openly shames it. So the things that we think is most shameful, Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm going to shame those things in you, my son and my daughter, I'm going to save. Our God is wonderful. Our God is awesome. And he is full of love. David Tripp says this again. He says, we need a moment to refocus on the grandeur of God's glory and grace. We need to take time to look at it. To look at God's glory and grace in our life. We need to see his awesome wisdom and power. We need to dwell in his patience and his faithfulness. We need to be stunned by his perfection and holiness and the righteousness of his judgment. We need to be encouraged by the awesome truth of his constant presence with us. And we need to be reminded to rest in the amazing sovereignty that he has for us. We need to be blown away by the reality that by grace he has done all these things for us. That he has unleashed his awesome glory on us. You see, awe doesn't just remind you of who God is. It redefines who you are as his creature and as his blood-bought child. I love that line. As his blood-bought child. That he brings definition to who we are. And so in Psalm 8, the psalm continues by defining who we are. He says, you've been given dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things underneath our feet all the sheep, or the oxen, 
all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. God makes good things. At the end of every day of creation, God says, and it was good, and it was good. And then he puts it in our hands. And he says, go have fun with it. Go rule over it. Go have authority over it. Go steward and take care of this thing well. The thing is, is that when we get entrenched in the familiar, that's often where we stop entering into places of awe and wonder. And so what we need are practices to begin to see the world around us with new eyes so that we can engage in the awe and wonder of who God is. Now, I don't know about you, but there's this practice in Christendom about praying before meals. How many of you guys pray before a meal? Yeah. It can, we, we pray with Benjamin before every meal. It gets pretty rote. It's like, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. It's really yummy. It's really good. Amen. And normally, I'm not drawn into a place of awe and wonder and amazement over the food that I'm about to eat. Now, sometimes the food that I eat brings me there, right? <laughs> but normally, the prayer doesn't. But the purpose of the prayer and the reason why we pray is to draw us into this place of amazement and wonder and awe. And so I want you to think for a minute about the food that is on your plate and how it got there. It probably came from an animal. And so at some point, an animal had to live. And at some point, an animal had to die. That animal probably ate some form of grain or some form of grass. And so there was seed that had to be sowed, and that seed had to die, and that seed had to be watered, and it had to be planted, and it had to grow, and then it had to also die as the animal ate it. And as the animal lives, he lives, he dies, he has to be butchered by a person. There's then a person who packages the thing, who puts it on a ship, not a ship, a, a truck. There's a person who built the truck. There's a person who ordered all of the metal out of the earth, pulled it out of the earth, refined it, beat it into sheets of metal. There's an engineer that designed the truck to make sure that the truck could travel down the road safely. There are engineers and people that made the roads. There were electricians who made the lights turn on at the grocery store so that we could have refrigeration. As soon as you start to really break this down, you start to realize that how many people did it take for your food to get on your plate. And that's pretty awesome. But that's not even just the end of it. I think the most awesome thing about food is that it reminds us of the redemption story of God. It reminds us that something had to die so that we could continue to live. And we get emotional about this when it comes to food, right? We make decisions about the food that we eat based on that. But what if we saw our food and the way that we ate our food as a reminder of how our God gave himself up so that we could live? I hope your next meal is mind-blowing. I hope it's awe-inspiring. I hope it leads you to worship the God who sees you, who loves you, who not only provides for your physical needs in that moment, but who also provides for you spiritually and eternally. Our God sees you and he loves you and it's awesome. And if you think about it, it redefines our work some too, right? Because for the food to get there, it required a bunch of different people to do their jobs. It took a bunch of people to show up. 
It took us to act responsibly, hopefully, around the ways that we use our resources. And if it doesn't, hopefully it causes us to stop for a moment and ask, are we acting responsibly about the good resources that God has given us? Because we are stewards of them. And they're the things that lead us to awe and wonder, which leads us to faith in him. So let's take care of the stuff that God has given us. Let's love those things well. And let's not forget where those good gifts in this world come from. The psalm then ends just how it began. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Our God is good. And he has put us in a place where he wants to restore our faith, where he wants to restore our worship, and he wants to restore our love so that we can walk humbly with the world and the people around us, pointing them towards the awesomeness of God with compassion and love. That's who we are, and that's what we get to do. So it doesn't matter what your job is, what we get to do each day is to stand in awe and wonder of God, and we get to be like Benjamin. It's big and powerful, Dad. It's big and powerful. Do you see it? Do you not see how big and powerful our God is? Do you not see how awesome he is? The next meal that you have with people, you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them over the food that they have. You get to say, do you see this food? Do you see how we get to eat it because something had to die? You know, that's true about Jesus as well. Jesus died so that we could have life again. We get to say, do you see it? Do you hear it? Do you experience it? And we get to go into this world worshiping him and experiencing not just cognitively knowing a bunch of facts about who God is, but we get to experience the living God who has put the very breath you're breathing inside of you today. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are awesome. We thank you that you are the king of the universe. And God, we confess for the places where we ignore our limitations and try to be king over you. God, forgive us of the ways that we see ourselves as God in this world. And God, forgive us of the ways that we allow ourselves to believe the lies that we are only dirt. And God, may you give us the courage and the grace and the wisdom and the experience and the, and the wonder to live in the space that is under your authority and your reign and your control with your breath living in us. God, may we be objects of your grace and compassion to this world as we go. In your name we pray. Amen.